0: Hey, everybody. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining me. This is Harriet Kamek with Dunter, to Earth. It's the podcast in which we talk about the issues that matter. And today being Tuesday, May 19, 2020. I still can't believe I'm still seeing May. I, I, May began like an eon ago. It's been an eternity. And it's still only the 19th day. But the good news is that next Monday will be Memorial Day. Which means we won't be on a podcast after Thursday, so we'll be off Friday and Monday, <laughs> right? Right, while most of us are grilling, and I know that's going to happen this Memorial Day, I know you'll all be out in the backyard, grilling and chilling. People will be floating over and we'll all be floating from one house to the other, so just imagine social distancing, yeah, grilling from a mile away, but come and get some food though, <laughs> right? <laughs> right, and it's all good. It's all good. We all need to expend some of that pent-up energy that we've been keeping as a result of being on lockdown for months since the middle of March. Most of us have been on lockdown, so it will be good to get out on Memorial Day. I know a lot of people are going to travel to the coast here in Michigan. The governor announced yesterday that she has reopened northern Michigan. Very telling because people are going to travel from southeastern Michigan Northern Michigan to go to the beach. The beaches are in Northern Michigan, not that there aren't beaches on the shores of Western Michigan, but people tend are more likely to travel to Traverse City and to regions on the northern peninsula, the northern part of the peninsula. And in so doing, we know people are going to take the virus there. <laughs> uh, the restaurants will open on Friday, so but between now and then they have to only run at 50% capacity. That's interesting. We like to see how that works, right? People are gonna show up and people are going to wanna go out in the bars and drink their troubles away and have a good time and forget about lockdown and so on. And it probably isn't gonna go all good. We're gonna have fun in the moment, but then when the moment passes in a few weeks, we're likely to see a return. I hope it doesn't happen, but it is impossible that it won't happen. Right, so today on our show, I want to talk about something that has come across my desk and was brought to my attention by my erstwhile producer, Alexandra. And uh, I give her a shout out. She's in the background (laughs) giving me direction and so on. But she's done a terrific job and done a good job of always bringing the attention, bringing attention to some of these issues. Sometimes I'll be perusing the New York Times or the Washington Post or the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg or some other news center, I come across something. But oftentimes, the most impactful stories I have found are when she brings them to me. She's a millennial, so naturally, their angle and take on stuff is just as interesting as mine. And when this story uh, came across, I couldn't help but touch it because it resonates with what we've been talking about consistently about the coronavirus and its rapid effects on communities of color particularly african americans and low income neighborhoods and what got me about this was this report was actually based on what happened right in my own backyard in river rouge michigan we call it down river here in southeast michigan we refer to communities in in southern michigan as downriver communities because they're downstream from the Detroit River. And it's particularly of interest because this is an area that traditionally has been subject to significant levels of air pollution. There's a marathon, marathon gas, marathon refinery plant, oil refinery plant down there that has been problematic, that has caused significant injury to residents of that community of River Rouge, Michigan for some time now. In fact, a few years ago, I think it might have been in uh, January of 2019, I went down there to one evening, and it was late in the evening too. It wasn't like early, you know, during the day. It was a Monday evening, and I drove down there. And as soon as I hit I 75, there's a portion of I 75 that as soon as I hit it, I said, What's that smell? I could smell something that was, felt like my, my, my nostrils were burning. And I couldn't believe it. And I said, oh, my God, it's coming from the plant. Imagine living. And I remember saying to my, I can't remember who was with me. And I said to them, imagine living here all the time and smelling this all the time. It cannot be good. So I did some more research and found out that that community historically has had issues, but they're a large industrial plant. And so they have very deep pockets to lobby, <coughs> excuse me, lawmakers and legislators and the city of Detroit so that they don't, they have not been tasked with uprooting and providing relocation to the residents of that community. Nobody should live within a five mile radius of that plant, of manufacturing plants and plants that emit chemical gases. Believe me, I was down there for maybe an hour and a half. I couldn't wait to get out of Dodge. Had nothing to do with the people or the company I was with. I was actually there uh, speaking about human trafficking, I think it was, and that's where I met uh, Congresswoman, uh, the Honorable Rashid Rashid Talib, Rashida Talib. That's where I met her, and I And she said, "Yeah, the smell is here." She said she grew up in the area. She grew up not far from there in Dearborn, and. That's what her family have been accustomed to, and they know people who have died from cancer of the lung because of that. And I said to myself, something has got to be done about that. So it's no surprise, therefore, that we find that across the country, in communities, in places, in low-income neighborhoods, and in places where communities of color reside, it doesn't matter what color you are, whether you are black or whether you are Hispanic, or whether in one community in Texas, there were people from Laos. Laos is in Vietnam, not Lagos, Nigeria, but Vietnam, right? And a lot of folks who live in those communities who haven't migrated and become upwardly mobile to leave those communities, have long-term inflammatory lung diseases as a result of being exposed to chemical plants. Now, this is happening not just in River Rouge, Michigan, But it is happening in Houston and in San Francisco and in Louisiana, wherever there are chemical plants and chemical emissions, there are issues going on. And so within the the ambit of these environmental issues, here comes COVID-19. COVID-19 is a particular kind of virus that mutates when it inflicts a body when it inflicts a human being, it mutates and finds the weakest part of that person's body to wreak havoc. COVID-19 is wreaking havoc on our systems. It's more like an environmental uh, biohazard than it is anything else. It's not a DNA kind of virus that you can treat with regular treatments that we've become accustomed to because it changes as it mutates how it happens on one person, is not the same way, it's not the same symptoms that are displayed, how it happens in one part of, in one region, it mutates in a different way. And so what we find is that people already were subjected to inflammatory lung diseases as a result of living in areas and living in communities where uh, low-income neighborhoods, particularly where there were chemical plants, and here comes COVID, here comes the coronavirus, specific kind of virus that already impacts your lungs. It's like a powder keg that has gone off. So I read this New York Times article, and after reading it, naturally, I had to remark to myself that this is a form of environmental racism. There are places in the country where industry and large industries with deep, deep pockets who have access to people in political life and political spectrums and who have money enough to influence legislation so they can do literally whatever they want to do and get away with it. And that is simply all they have been doing is doing what they want to do, wreaking havoc on people's lives and not a soul in the world, not a care in the world. There's nothing to hold them accountable. There is no legislation. I don't care if it's a Democratic president or a Republican president. These things have been going on for decades and nothing has been done to change it. Look at us here in Michigan, right there in River Rouge, Michigan, that, that Marathon refinery plant has been there. That has spent at least four administrations, more than four administrations. I'm just conservatively saying, right? And that plant has been there for some time. And that's not the only plant that's down there. There is, in fact, a sewage waste plant and two power plants, along with a refinery plant that are in River Rouge. There have been Democratic governors. There have been Republican governors. And none of them have significantly changed and uprooted or demanded that they control the emissions that come from their plants. Nothing has fundamentally changed. This is what I'm saying, folks, that if you pay attention to the politics, that they want you to pay attention to the red politics and the blue politics, you and I are left behind. And if you don't have enough money to influence and to change fundamentally and to change the way that legislation is proposed, then we're nothing. We're just breathing air, whatever air they tell us to breathe, and you are like nothing. You just exist, and if they feel like it, they can do whatever they want with your life because your life is simply disposable. It is the truth. The truth may not, you they may not like it. They're going to cover it over, and they're going to say something else, but at the end of the day, we live in Michigan, and in River Rouge, Michigan, there have been Democratic governors. There have been Republican governors, and nothing has fundamentally changed the large-scale uh, infected poisonous gases that come from the manufacturing plants in low-income neighborhoods. Nothing has changed that. This, my friends, is why you need to pay attention to local politics. This is why you need to look at the people who are being elected to city council. That's where it starts. This is why you pay attention to who is the mayor, who is the person running for mayor, who is the guy or gal running for mayor. This is where you pay attention to who is the state senator, Who is the state state house representative? Who is the U.S. senator? Who is the U.S. uh, representative? Do you see what I'm saying? You need to, because all politics are local. And for so long, we have allowed ourselves to be muzzled by the fact that you can't change anything. But I tell you that your vote does change. One vote can make a difference. If you don't believe me, look at the 2016 election. President Trump won Michigan by 10,000 votes in Detroit. That's 10,000 people who voted for him. That means the other or 500,000 people who didn't vote, their votes didn't count. It's that simple. If you voted, your vote counted. If you didn't, well, shut up. Do you see what I'm saying? And we continue to sit back and allow people of influence to control us. And to not do anything about it. And you might be thinking, well, here, what can we do? You make enough noise till they start doing something. It's not that the folks in River Rouge, Michigan have not said enough. They got tired of talking because they got sicker and sicker and sicker. And the research shows that long-term exposure to chemicals and the inhalation of chemical gases will lead to chronic inflammatory lung disease. That's a fact of life. That is indisputable. That is irrevocable. That is undisputed, undefeated facts. It is what it is. And so as we look around the country, it is not a surprise, therefore, for us to understand where the coronavirus will, will strike or will spike. All you have to do is to look at low-income neighborhoods around the country. Wherever there are a group, or whatever counties have plants and manufacturing plants, then it's going to happen. In one report I read in Houston, the very place, some of these plants never close because they're in the business of manufacturing hospital gowns and masks and so on, right? And gloves. Well, in one community near Houston, Texas, where they are busy manufacturing these items, guess what? There's also an incinerator there places emit serious gases, and the residents of those communities are ill. And when they have to burn the waste that comes out of these, guess what? It is just as bad and just as damaging. I submit to you that something must change. We've got to do something. We've got to change this, don't we? We've got to change it. We have got to get to the point where we understand that change must come. And we cannot forget. It behooves us not to forget. Most of you think that when I'm done talking about this, I just move on to the next subject. No, I don't. In every conversation that I have with others, and most of whom are people of influence, I bring up these salient points for people to consider. It's not unusual for people to say, well, what do you think we should do? What can change that? Because I cannot forget But for the grace of God, go I. Not when I read, you know, for years now, I've been talking about violence and the impact of violence on health. Then I had to try to understand why violence is more prevalent amongst low-income people. So I had to figure that out. I had to go do more research on that. Well, in doing that, I found out that, you know, something, there are some social factors that are referred to as the social determinants of health. And one of them is where you live what is likely taking place in those neighborhoods? We find that places where pollution occurs, whether it's pollution from traffic, heavily trafficked areas, people who live near major highway and freeway systems, they tend to have long-term exposure to those fumes. So everybody, if you have a house somewhere, go plant a tree. Trees provide oxygen. We tend to have more of these uh, lung issues. We call it the flu season because during winter, we don't have, the trees don't have leaves on them. So when the leaves fall off the trees, naturally there's not enough oxygen. So we can't breathe. We take a shallower breath. But during summer, we breathe deeper because there are enough trees. The trees have leaves. And when the trees have leaves, there is enough oxygen. So the same oxygenation process is also absorbing the fumes from motor vehicles. This is why sometimes I don't mind when it snows. Because when all the dirty fumes go out, the snow comes down and purifies the air. I really don't mind it sometimes when it rains because it's washing away all the toxins that are in the air. But what about in areas where there is more pollution simply because of the volume of industrial activity that takes place, the volume of economic activity? We've got to understand that people are motivated by money. Large corporations are moved by their bottom line. They crunch numbers all day. I mean, if something just goes off for a nanosecond, for one millionth of a second, it is calculated how much money they have lost in 15 seconds if a plant breaks down or if a carburetor a thing breaks down. They they just make money. They just think of money. And because of that concentration on money, naturally money over people profits over people every time, all the time. There are people who simply do not care. They don't care. I read a report that Dr. Abdul El-Sayed, he was a candidate for governor for the Democratic Party in Michigan last season, last election cycle. He's also an epidemiologist and was a director of the Detroit Health Department. And he said that it is... uh, we need to pay attention to the issues of inflammatory lung disease that come out of low-income neighborhoods. And I'm like, now, what are you going to do about it, doc? And I imagine that he has had uh, intimate knowledge of this simply by uh, his ethnicity and the fact that he probably knows of this. It, it, he's an epidemiologist, he studies the stuff, so he knows about it. He probably has treated patients with that. Do you see what I'm saying? But we've got to start looking, and I'm not saying there shouldn't be industry. There has to be industry, but I think we need tighter controls, emission controls, and we need, they need to do things like if you're going to be in this neighborhood, then we, you need to relocate the people who live there. Pay them to move them out. What happened to that? I grew up in Jamaica, and uh, when the bauxite plants were coming to Jamaica, bauxite is a process by which they extract dirt out of the earth, and they convert that dirt through a manufacturing process to make it alumina. Aluminum becomes a white powder that then becomes aluminum that makes airplanes and some parts of motor vehicles right? So it's a, a, you would call it a natural resource. And it's an important and essential resource, right? They don't use much aluminum anymore. They use plastics. But the fact that they used to mine these plants exists. I can tell you stories about how there was an area where they stored all the chemical waste and the fumes used to rise. They poured all the waste into a a man-made lake and it went into the water table, and then people around started getting sick with cancers. So the people determined that it was the stuff that was going in the man-made lake that caused that. They didn't just sue the companies. They just showed up and demanded compensation. Eventually, the government of Jamaica held them accountable, and they had to return the resources to the community. They had to provide health care for the people. I kid you not. They did it quietly, without fanfare, without calling a press conference. They did it, but they had to provide resources back to the communities they served. Eventually, when the demand for aluminum ceased, naturally the mining for alumina ceased, but the, wor- the, 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 the work had already been done. And so when it had been done, they still were required to ensure that they provided for the people in a long-term way. So they had to do stuff like build better roads, build infrastructure, because they tore down. They literally would send in big D8 machines, you know, those big excavators to dig out holes in the earth to get that mineral out, so vital it was. It's the same thing that is happening in communities in Louisiana and Texas and in Michigan and in parts of California. It's the same thing. They want the minerals from the earth. They want the chemicals to make industry because every mask, every hospital gown sold makes more money for the CEOs and the owners of those companies and the shareholders. And money is the bottom line because, heck yeah, we got to get to France and live on our yachts. And we got to tour the world in our yachts. We have to live big pimping lifestyles. So, heck yeah, I don't care about the little people. So, heck with them. It's all about me, and then the politicians get involved, and it's all about them. It's like I'm here for the money, and they pay me only $168,000 a year, but I'm not coming out of this broke. I better remember that my children are gonna go to college for the next 12 generations, and there'll be money in my pot, in an account in the Cayman Islands. So if they ever vote me out of office, I will never be broke. It's all about the money, no one cares. But those of us who remain, those of us who truly care, we are the ones who have relatives who live in these areas. In, 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 in a part of the story, one of the persons who was interviewed already had long-term effects from living there from where she grew up there, then moved back there 20 years ago. She already had long-term effects. It is no wonder then that she got the coronavirus. In getting the coronavirus, she found that afterwards she could only walk 20 steps in either direction she survived, she was one of the lucky ones because she ended up on a ventilator because her lungs stopped working. Well, guess what happens with the coronavirus? Have you noticed that anyone who survives the virus, sometimes they die afterwards, but you have ever noticed that they develop long-term health complications? It just doesn't go away. When you hear people say, I survived the virus, I wanna say, careful, careful, you're still in a state. It's like recovering from pneumonia, you still have a window there of four to six weeks when you really probably shouldn't interface with anyone. With the coronavirus, we don't even know yet what the long-term, longer-term effects are going to be. All we know is that people are not re- are recovered, but then they re- are reinfected. Because we still don't know enough. But all the evidence so far is pointing to the fact that people who live in neighborhoods with already compromised health situations are most likely to be the ones to suffer from the coronavirus. It is not fair. Is it fair? No, heck no. Just because of economics, some of these folks, they work in the same factories. So people like to say, well, they don't work. A fair day's wait for a fair day's job. And I'm like, wherever did you find that to be true? That's never true. I guess it's comparative or I guess it's uh, subjective. Because what you call a fair day's wage might not be fair for me. Or what might be fair for me might not be fair for you. Last night I was on the internet and I saw, uh, you know, uh, the Detroit Lions. You've heard of them? Yeah, they're kind of like an NFL football team around here. And whilst many Michiganders love their Detroit Lions, the Lions don't love us. They've never won a championship in more than 30 years. At least never. Not since they were first founded. The quarterback of the Detroit Lions, this quarterback, probably has been one of the longest serving quarterbacks. I think Max Stafford has been the quarterback of the Lions since I've lived in Detroit. Now probably about 10, 12 years. It just seems longer. Well, he's put his house, his Michigan house, up for sale. And when I read this story, I said to myself, that's a precursor to a man making a move. A man knows he's about to make a move, and as a smart moneymaker, he doesn't want to be caught with his pants down. The house is more attractive if, if people visit the house while people are living in it. So he put the house up for sale. But his wife says the reason they put the house up for sale is because they have, uh, they, she's expecting their fourth child. She will have four children running around. The house has an infinity pool. It's the largest infinity pool in the state. And it's on a lake. So she says there's just too much water for young children running around which we all kind of said, okay, reasonable, reasonable, except for the fact that they recently bought a house in Atlanta that's bigger than the house they have in Michigan that has a bigger outdoor pool with no boundaries around it. So that tells you that the mistake she's making, the, st- the story she's telling, it doesn't add up. What am I saying? The point I'm making is, is that people who have more money they don't have to ever worry about inflammatory lung disease, not because they were born rich, but because they made their money. So we're not all in the same boat together. We're in some kind of boat, the boat of coronavirus, but we're not in the same boat. So the point I'm making is people with more money, they tend to have access and influence to legislators to say, this can't happen, which means that some of you NFL players, and basketball players, you have access, like Matthew Stafford does, you have access to call the legislators to say in River Rouge, Michigan, or in communities in Houston and in San Francisco and in Louisiana and in Mississippi, we need, and West Virginia, we need to stop putting chemical plants where people live, uproot the people. The point I'm making about Stafford is that he can uproot at any time because he's autonomous. He has that because he played football, got well paid for it, right? That's a fair day's wage for him, right? He's well-paid, so he got well-paid, and he's moving his family to the best that he can. The people who live and work, so when people tell you that, well, you don't work hard, these people who live in these neighborhoods are hardworking people. They work at the local grocery store. They work at the local food service delivery place. They work at the local pharmacy. They work at the local hardware store. These are people who even work in the same factory. You really think that people who work in auto plants are not imbibing fumes from the stuff they're working on? You really think that there are not health complications down the line? In one study I read some years ago that people who retire from automakers, within five years, most of them die from something. It's just a report that is kept under wraps because nobody wants to be sued. There comes a price with industry. When the Industrial Revolution started over 300 years ago, they were using a lot of coal to make energy. And it was so bad that the suit that came out of chimneys was in people's lungs. It was on the clothes. It was everywhere. So the wealthy people moved further and further away from where the plants were and where this industry was taking place. We haven't changed much, have we? We still do the same thing. We still duck and run when we see these things pointing at us. I want to read some stuff to you so we can all understand. Chemical plants and oil refineries are disproportionately placed in low-income communities. Low-income communities typically have more people of color because of systemic racism. Where there are high levels of pollution, research has shown that where there are high levels of pollution, there are equally high levels of inflammatory lung disease. And guess what? Here comes the coronavirus, just adding to that. Long-term exposure to pollution, to high levels of bad of air pollution, equals lifetime health issues. Are you Are you hearing me, folks? Long-term exposure to air pollution leads to a lifetime of health issues. There are two conditions tied to air pollution. You ready for this? This is, this, this is going to resonate with you, and it's going to make you think. There are two conditions tied to air pollution. There are lung disease, and this one took me out, coronary heart disease. That one just took me away because I'm thinking how unfair it is for all of us, how unfair it is that you're poor, you live in a poor neighborhood, you can't get out of it, and this is what takes you out? People who are exposed, therefore, to lung disease and coronary heart disease face what, a higher risk for severe COVID-19. I hope you heard that. Harvard research has shown that coronavirus patients in areas with historically heavy air pollution are more likely to die, period. You heard that correctly. The research from Harvard University shows that coronavirus patients in areas with historically heavy air pollution are more likely to die. Oh, God. That's all I can say. God help us. Literally, God help us. River Rouge, Michigan has seen more COVID-19 deaths than any other, any other place outside of New York State. Right? River Rouge, Michigan has seen more coronavirus cases than any other outside New York State. The levels of ozone, a gas linked to lung disease, exceeds federal limits. (laughs) And listen to this one. Blacks are 40% of deaths in Michigan and Blacks are only 15% of the population. In Michigan, African-Americans are 15% of the population and are 40% of deaths associated with the coronavirus. Black and brown people are primarily in low-income neighborhoods, who live in low-income neighborhoods, are most likely to be exposed to long-term health issues arising from air pollution, thereby being highly susceptible to the coronavirus. Research shows that most waste incinerators are in low-income neighborhoods. Medical wastes where stuff is burned, release some chemicals called dioxins. And listen to this, this is the thing you might be asking more than anything else, how is it with lung disease? Well, the particulate matter that comes from the manufacturing processes that is emitted into the air and that comes from the incinerated waste it gets attached to our lungs if you live in those areas maybe this is why some of us like to live near the beach and some of us like to live near the water because the air is this is why i like to live where there are a lot of trees i like a lot of trees around me especially during the summer because i believe the trees absorb a lot of that. Maybe this is why I always have plants in my environment, real plants. I like to have plants in my home because they help with the oxygenated process. They absorb the dust and the dirt that comes in. My friends, we have real-time issues, and we need to perhaps, just a little bit, we need to, this, the coronavirus has given us all pause and has given us time to look at stuff and to wonder about stuff. And we've got to recognize that this is something for us to think about. It is impossible, like literally impossible, for some of these things to take place. How does it happen? And so when we come to this place, we recognize that we who are alive and remain, we have a responsibility to bring attention to these issues and continue to talk about these issues. Don't mind me. I have to talk about it. because, But for the grace of God, go I. It could be me. It could be my family member. And to me, it's an injustice. Environmental racism is a form of injustice. It is injustice. It is injustice when due to systemic, systemic racism, economic oppression continues to prevail where people of color are largely unable to move forward and to be upwardly mobile. Somehow, I think these plants have the wherewithal and the resources to relocate people. I think they need to be accountable. So you want to place your plants in an area. They have legislation. They influence legislation that says people, it is safe for people to live within two miles of their plants. They actually do. Even if there are federal guidelines in place, they still influence legislation that moves it a little bit further and says that it is safe for them to conduct business. Thereby, they don't have to be economically responsible. So they don't have to pay for the uprooting of people or the relocation of people. Like the story I told you about that in Jamaica, the bauxite plants were held accountable. They had to pay for the relocation of people once they decided to take over their land. So they can extract box that. we've got to get to the stage here in America where we do better than this. We owe it to our people. We can't just let companies run rapidly you know ad hoc through our, our system and just kill people off, because that's essentially what they do. And then get away with it for decades. Over and over, one woman in River Rouge, Michigan, has moved away, then she moved back to take care of her ailing mother. And yet here she is, subject to inflammatory lifetime lung disease that made her susceptible to a virus like the coronavirus. Is that fair? We read stories like that and you have to wonder well, what has happened to the successive administrations? They weren't all Republican, they were Democrat too. Where was everybody? Where was every, every Democratic lawmaker asleep at the switch? Were they just paid off to just shut up and not say anything? And I will quietly move your family out of the way so that will keep you quiet. What about the other people who are there? These are the issues. And we're, we, we have to talk about these things. We have to find ways in which we recognize that we, this just can't happen. But look, the coronavirus is probably not going to go away for a while. And let me just help us all to understand vaccines don't happen overnight. So if they're touting... Uh, early results indicate that a vaccine is, su- is successful. That's not usually how the, pro- the process works. Vaccines take five to seven years to develop because they're subjected to tests over and over again to demonstrate and prove their effectiveness. It is not safe for us, any of us, to go take a vaccine that was just developed two months ago. You don't know what its long-term effects are. It's much like taking hydroxychloroquine how are you going to take that stuff? Do not take it. Do not take it. That's a drug that is designed to treat malaria and lupus. You don't want to take it. And that drug is prescribed in specific dosages based on each individual person's each individual person's capacity to withstand the drug. That's a drug that causes heart problems. It will make your heart flutter. It will give you a heart attack. So for people who have COVID and who have developed heart disease, you can't take hydroxychloroquine. It's going to add to your angst. It's going to add to your tableau of illnesses associated with, 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 with COVID. We need to, we, my friends, we need to just realize that something is very wrong with this. We don't understand enough of this virus, but what we do know of it is that it is ravaging communities of color. And the reason that it is ravaging is because historically, historically, heavy air pollution resides in low-income neighborhoods and low-income communities where people of color reside. And that, my friends, is the crux of the matter. That is no surprise then, that more people of color were dying from it. It is no surprise. If you have had long-term exposure to heavy air pollution, Chances are you will die. This is why so many people who worked in the plants, in the other plants, were dying. They already had compromised systems, either because of the neighborhoods where they were born in or the neighborhoods they lived in, but on-the-job exposure to fumes and industrial fumes. Nobody wants to face that. So naturally, that was a breeding ground for COVID-19 to happen. And then here it comes. It's a virus that seems to affect your, your breathing apparatus. Your heart is part of your breathing apparatus. If your heart doesn't pump, well, if it doesn't beat, everything goes. Right? Food for thought. And so we we, we find ourselves in this place where we've got to ask ourselves, what gives? What happens after this? This is interesting, isn't it? This is something. This is something to think about, y'all. This is something that we must recognize is a blight on our population. And we've got to place more emphasis, not on legislation, but we, because legislation doesn't work, because they influence the people who make the legislation, sue them, bring a civil suit against them, sue them, bring a civil suit. Make them pay for uprooting your family and pay for your health care for the rest of time. We've got to do that. When you look at, we're talking about, this is not something that is new. You know, we see these things and we're like, oh, well, that happens overseas. That happens in other parts of the world. It ha- it's happening right here. It ha- it's happening right here in my backyard in River Rouge, Michigan. Like I told you, I drove down there two years ago. It's, I haven't been back there in two years. It's not far. It's just not. You know, if you don't, I I don't know any, many people who live there, so if I don't have some reason to be there, and you can smell it from you drive into it, it's just in the air, night or day. There's a steel plant down there, a steel mill is down there, a sewage waste plant is down there, two power stations are down there, there's even a Ford plant down there. It's not the plant that they make cars, but it's an industrialized thing they have down there. But you can smell it. It's just there. Night and day. In fact, last year, in that neighborhood, the marathon plant emitted some emissions. And they had to issue a statement to the people to shelter in place. Don't come out of your house because the air outside is so dangerous. Imagine that. Imagine that there was an inquiry into it. It became quite the thing. I mean, you know, they appeared before uh, the state government to answer questions as to why this happened. Uh, It's not like, you know, anything came out of it. (laughs) Right? They weren't held responsible because these things have a way of dying a natural death. You have enough money. You distribute the money around the way. It is what it is, right? But we gotta change. So when you see the news reports that uh, more people of color and more black people are dying, so it makes it sound like the coronavirus is only affecting black people, here is the reason why. It's because historically, most people of color grew up in neighborhoods where they had been exposed and had long-term exposure to heavy air pollution whether they live near an airport where the planes fly over and dump jet fuel. These things happen, yes it does, it does happen. (laughs) Or they live in neighborhoods that are heavily industrialized content. Or they simply live near freeway systems. Whatever the case might be, wherever there is heavy air pollution, listen to this, a Harvard research shows that wherever there is heavy in areas with historically heavy air pollution. Coronavirus patients are more likely to die. My name is Harriet Kemmer. This has been Down to Earth. It's Tuesday, May 19, 2020. Thank you so much for being a part of my experience and for listening to our broadcast this morning. Continue to listen to more of our episodes on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever your favorite podcast platform is. My prayer for you today is that we live beautifully. Just bloom where you're planted. Thank you so much for listening. Go go to my website, harriakemock.com, for more information on the subjects that I talk about. Thanks so much, everybody. Be blessed. Hey, have a terrific Tuesday. Be blessed. Be blessed. Be thou glorified, be glorified in the heavens, be glorified in the earth, Jesus. Be thou. SIPC.